All right. Good morning, Superflex City. We are back and we are dancing in the city. Superflex City. John and I have a little bit of a twist we're going to throw into this a series we are hoping for Scott Fishbowl. And we're going to talk about a little bit like about some strategy, but we're going to talk a lot a bit about music and what it's meant to us and like what an instrumental part of your life it could be or nice probably was so we're hoping to get a few different people on here and uh, <laughs> nice nice pun by the way <laughs> In, <laughs> you how, like how instrumental is music in your life that was like was you didn't totally <laughs> by mistake I, I could tell you, you were just gonna you were just gonna keep going like that didn't even happen i was like nope 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 well you've got to acknowledge that one <laughs> that's too good so, so john's picking from the 10 spot i'm picking from the 12 we'll get into that a little bit but for me it can wait it can wait a minute i want to talk a little bit about music and i even yes. so i'm thinking like as because we've been talking about this for days now kind of back and forth how we're going to do it and I started, I wanted to go back. Like I, I, it was easy for me to think of like my, my 16 to like 20 year old, maybe even 15 to 20. Like some of that music is the music that's really stuck with me to this day, like that teen angst. But then I started thinking even further back to like when I'm like stealing lyrics from Billy Joel Stormfront and put them in my girlfriend's notes in like fourth through sixth grade. And oh, wow. Even nice. some of that stuff and and kind of like those moments where you start to feel like maybe maybe DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince do relate with me because my parents don't fucking understand what's going on with me today. <laughs> and just those like little <laughs> things, you know, that were much younger than my my personal teen angst. And uh, I don't know, dude, it's just been such a crazy like part of my life forever and I, th I think you are, are similar to like I don't know do you have any moments sort of like what I just mentioned <laughs> oh for sure yeah tons of them it it is funny too isn't it like for those of us like it, it kind of like right on the border between generation x and millennials how it just kind of felt like like the uh, like music was kind of growing right along with us like the the music of the time was just kind of like was just so fitting for us at that point in our lives at that time in our lives and i think probably everyone feels that way to some extent yeah. you know um they 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 all feel like you know like when i was a when i was a kid and you know this like this music was kind of um, you know, or uh, this, th these, these bands, these groups, these singers, whatever, were kind of coming onto the scene at that time. You know, they were, they were kind of, they were telling the story of my life at that moment. So, yeah. you know, I, that's, that's the beauty of music is the fact that it, that it does just kind of, it, it, it goes beyond just, uh, you know, just something to entertain you. It just, it, it really just kind of embodies you know, where you're at at that point in your life, regardless of your age. And it just, yeah. you know, it just, it just tells a story for you. And that's part of the reason we wanted to do this really, because, and as fun and awesome as Scott Fishbowl is, as fun as toys were, some of the movies have been like for me, when it was music, like it got personal and in a good way, like just the music and stuff, in your life it kind of becomes a part of you and it is really personal and sometimes like 
you might even run into somebody that doesn't like your favorite band and it means so much to you that it's it's almost it's almost as important to you as double tapping quarterbacks with that 12 spot yeah like to me like i take it personal like what do you mean you're not doing that and uh but really it like almost becomes that like instant part of you and um and i can tell you like i haven't listened to dj jazzy jeff or billy joel in forever but i do remember those moments like those cassette tapes like going to get poison open up and say ah and like just coming home and rocking out so you're in the johnny cash division picking at 10 was that your first choice well my my first choice was i mean just my all-time favorite band social distortion um i i don't think that they ended up with a division though i don't think there were (laughs) there was enough interest um but you know the the thing about it is you know social distortion has been like i'm a i i am a musician and uh Social Distortion and Mike Ness have been easily my greatest influences in writing music, in, you know, my onstage persona. And it even bleeds into my fantasy football analysis sometimes, you know, and my my persona on the various podcasts. But, you know, and and Johnny Cash was a huge influence for for him, first of all. Um, so yeah, I, I've even had people comment like, you, you know, you're, you're a, a fan of punk rock. You know, I kind of came up, I, I grew up in a little hick town where everybody just wanted to listen to country music all the time. I didn't feel like I fit in, you know? Um, and, uh, I didn't feel like I, I fit in politically. I didn't feel like I, I fit in culturally, you know, none of it felt like a fit and punk rock came along at the perfect time. Yet again, you know, just like all, all of the music throughout my life, punk rock came along at the perfect time for me. Um, and and so, you know, punk rock ended up really kind of shaping who I became as an adult. Um, and so, you know, the theory was that I would if I if it wasn't going to be social distortion, I would pick another punk band, you know, Blink-182, Green Day. Um, offspring, something like that. But first of all, you know, a- again, Johnny Cash was an influence of of Mike Ness, and you can really hear that old, you know, that that old school country in in their rockabilly tones. Um, second of all, though, to me, Johnny Cash is the original punk. You know, he was he was the the greaser punk I rocker. I've seen you or heard you say that before, maybe. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean, I've felt that way all along. I, I like you listen to the Man in Black and tell me that's not a punk rocker right there, just before punk rock existed. There's definitely so, something about Johnny Cash because I'm not a country guy. Yeah, but I'll listen to some Johnny Cash. It, not not as much as you, but yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I love Johnny Cash and I always have. And and the third thing is uh my my granddad um who I I got my name from um he uh he was playing Johnny Cash for me. So when I was a baby, uh my parents could not get me to sleep and they would bring me over to my grandparents' house. My granddad would put me in his pickup um and just drive me around listening to Johnny Cash and you know Boots Randolph just all the the old guys you know um 
and uh and it would it would instantly put me to sleep <laughs> um get me to stop crying and put me to sleep and then and then you know throughout my childhood anytime i was in the in the truck with my granddad he was he was playing johnny cash and uh you know, I knew Boy Named Sue, which is, I mean, barely even a song. It's kind of like slam poetry, basically. But I knew the I knew the words by heart as like a, you know, five year old or whatever. And um, it, it, you know, it, it was something that him and I were able to share. He passed away when I was a teenager. But um, that's something that's that's. You know, that's one of those memories that's going to stick with me for the rest of my life, um, even though I don't have him anymore, you know. And I bet it meant a lot to him, too, for yeah. that being him music, his music, and then you taking to it like that to the point of memorizing those songs. I mean, honestly, I think that music's that powerful that when you can share it with somebody like that and so personal and so close to you, like it, it does build that connection now. Like I have songs like that and and I'm guessing you too do as well that I love the song. I even enjoy it, but it has to be in the right moment because I'm probably going to tear up a little bit and just like, mm-hmm. don't know how vulnerable I want to be in front of everybody <laughs> in the house or moment you know what i mean where it just kind of like gets you whether it's a certain note even sometime or a feeling that is from some of those memories just people maybe that have even ruined songs for you within your life yeah crazy as that sounds just like oh hate this person now (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) i know it's so crazy how like there, there are just so many people that come into your life in, in one way or another, you know, whether they stay for, for a minute or for a while. Um, but they end up with like one song that kind of reminds you of, of them, you know, for good or for bad. Yeah, yep. So like that's, and that's, that's boy named Sue specifically with my, with my granddad. I mean, I listen to tons of Johnny Cash with him. But that song in particular, it just kind of reminds me of him and, and not just him, but like, you know, almost like a, a specific moment with him. Um, like I can I can like remember the kind of the setting, you know, um, like the the like the temperature and, um, you know, what the what the weather was like on this particular day. I remember the you know, the sounds and the smells and stuff like that. Sure. I don't remember exactly like, you know, the context or anything. I don't know where we were going, what we were doing. I just remember being with him and, you know, all of the the like sensory stimulants <laughs> um, mm-hmm. around, you know, besides the besides the song itself do you and this is this might be kind of a weird question but do you happen to remember where you were when you learned that johnny cash passed away um i was i know i was working and um yeah so it's so it's so funny like johnny cash is kind of one of the few people that like to me it, it like this feels like the kind of the dream you know is to pick when you go you know to be able to say all right i'm done i'm i'm tired i'm ready to to be done you know when he covered that he covered hurt by nine inch nails and he put out that video and that felt like him saying goodbye you know and uh 
um, you know, he, like his, his wife, June had just passed away. Um, you know, he, it, it was, he was, it was just very obvious that he was feeling very alone and very ready to just be done yeah. um, when that song came out. And so, you know, and he died soon after, you know, felt that felt like kind of a, it felt chalky, I guess, to use a fantasy football term. It felt like, you know, that was that was uh, a, a foregone conclusion that that was coming. Yeah. But so, I mean, like, I, I feel like the first time I saw that music video, the first time I heard him sing Hurt, um, and, you know, I like I remember that even more vividly than hearing about his actual passing because I feel like I heard the song I knew what he was saying and I kind of came to terms with it then, you know, I kind of, I kind of, and, and, you know, all of the, I went through all the emotions and all the mourning and, you know, you know, thinking about my granddad and thinking about the way Johnny Cash kind of brought us together. Um, You know, I, like I went through all of that that you normally go through when the person actually passes away. I went through that with Johnny Cash when he, you know, when he put that song out. Yeah. And it almost seemed like, and, and I mean, Trent Reznor has since said that that's not even his song anymore. That's Johnny Cash's song now. And <laughs> yeah. um, it, it probably should be. But when you listen, I mean, it even seems like you can feel it through Johnny Cash and almost like he's also reminiscing back through life and mistakes and then where he is today. And, um, he makes that song hurt a little bit like it's a good hurt but he makes that song hurt a little bit for sure yeah um and then the imagery in that video too like that the song itself is powerful but then watch the video and you know the he's got the ghost of of june behind him you know walking around and and then just kind of disappears and like you know that he's singing to her and it's just like man yeah yeah, yeah, it's it's powerful stuff. Yeah, pretty deep. Do you happen to remember just we'll we'll change it a little bit. Do you happen to remember your first cassette tape or CD that you bought? Um let me think about that. I uh, so I mean it wasn't it, DJ Dazzy Jeff in the Fresh <laughs> No. <laughs> no. My mom wouldn't let me listen to us. It would have been vanilla ice. Honestly, it would have been oh, vanilla yeah. ice. Yeah. Um, I mean, she couldn't keep me away from it when I was at school. Like, I mean, hip hop was everywhere. Um, it was really kind of coming onto the scene for oh, the that's first a good time. Point. There, you know, there, it was it was uh it was tough on our parents. Yeah, yeah. But you and, know, I mean, and honestly, that's how ignorant they were to it yeah yeah yeah, that's (laughs) right i remember coming home from school not to interrupt you but having uh ice cube tape and uh megadeth tape and man there was one other freaking tape on the table and they were just cut up laying on the table what the hell my mom had gone into my room gotten my tapes cut them and just threw them on the freaking kitchen table dude (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. My mom just wouldn't even, I mean, she just wouldn't even allow it. You know, we weren't even allowed to, to, I, we barely could even listen to music because, you know, there was a chance that I would figure out how to use the, how to use the radio dials and change it to, you know, the, the yeah, that's a good station. point. Cause we have to regress. Like you, 
didn't grow up in a very cultured environment, at, like you said yeah. at the beginning of the show. Yep. Yeah. And, um, I wouldn't say I did either, but I'm guessing my hometown was a little bit bigger than yours from mm-hmm. how you mentioned it. But, um, but man, I remember even like those cassette singles you could buy and yeah. getting like the cassette, the um, Skid Row. 18 for life single and it had like another song like you'd flip it to the other side and it had like side b track or something i forget what it even was and they were in like those cardboard slides dude and like (laughs) riding bikes to the mall just to like spend some money on a couple cassette tapes or something like that and just uh yeah i don't know dude that was it man that was all I, i don't know dude like fantasy football and music i can't think of two other things outside of family that have been more important to my actual life outside of life kind of, you know, but music has just always been there. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Like, I mean, I, I, I even was able to operate within their constraints and still make it work, you know? So, um, uh, like I, I listened to a lot of Phil Collins <laughs> as a kid, nice. which is yeah. it's it's kind of strange. I, I enjoy to that think so about. much more today. Yes, than I did. But even back then, I, some of that Phil Collins was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it like it felt it it always felt strange to me because it felt like you know that's something that like a a you know a thirty five year old dude with a briefcase should be listening to not not you know five year old John yeah. but like yeah I I I dug Phil Collins um and and like I I I was able to get into country a little bit um and in fact I mean more than a little bit at times like uh, kind of my my vice my guilty pleasure <laughs> that I don't like to admit is that, you know, back to the original question, I think the first cassette that I personally purchased was, with my allowance was Billy Ray Cyrus. <laughs> like, nice. Achy Breaky Heart was just, yes. like, I played it I, over I and I over. I picture that cover in my head, if I'm being honest. I didn't <laughs> have it, but I still th- remember when, <laughs> back in the day, you'd walk into places, like, I don't, your town was smaller, maybe you didn't have any places like this, honestly, uh-uh. but you'd walk into places and they ju- you just have covers of tapes and cassettes and like I remember bringing those jewels home and opening up the cases, reading the lyrics with the music, just staying up all night when you couldn't sleep with a crappy Walkman. Yeah, <laughs> those were the days, dude. Yep. Yeah. Who would have freaking thought? I know. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, I think some of my first tapes were some some of those ones I already mentioned. One ten. One ten. What are you doing with that one ten? In your head. And I know nothing's in the vacuum. You have no idea what people are going to do. You know how I feel. Yeah. And I think that I'm probably with you, although it like it does feel a little bit like uh I it well, for one thing, it feels like you know, quarterback extreme is going to be uh, like I think that we're gonna have a longer runway in redraft than we do in Dynasty. So so I'm not going to be quite as worried about getting, you know, as many quarterbacks early on. Cause I feel like I'm going to be able to, you know, with, for my fifth quarterback, for instance, I, I, I'm kind of feeling like I'll be able to end up with something like, you know, Terod Taylor and Davis mills, you know, something like that, some combo like that, which I, I did it last year as your as, third quarterback. Yeah. Last year, I think it was my, my third quarterback. I ended up with, uh, with Taylor and Herbert. You know, just to complete oh, wow. that Chargers 
uh, group. And I mean, you know, Kyler Murray was my QB one and Herbert ended up being my QB two most of the season. And it was a, it was a vicious combo, you know? Yeah. So like, it's, it, it feels like you can, you don't have to stick to quarterback quite as heavy um, early on and you're still going to get to the the numbers that you want. So the 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 tough part is if you're going to if you're going to deviate from quarterback, what the hell do you do instead, you know? Yeah. Like is it really worth it to reach for a for one of the big three tight ends? I did just fine last year with, you know, Robert Tunyon and and Johnu Smith and Logan Thomas. Like that was Right. Those, those are those three great examples though. Yeah. Tanya and, yeah. and yeah, they, those were values. Like I love yeah. that. And I didn't even have to get all three of those guys, you know. I would have been fine with just one of them, but to have all three of them and to be able to flex two of them, you know, worked out pretty well. So, you know, I I made the playoffs. I didn't make a deep run the way you did, but you know, I I it was it was enough to get me into the playoffs. So, you know, I feel like I feel like it's a little overblown how important it is to get, you know, a guy that uh, an established like elite tight end because there's going to be elite I tight agree, ends, yeah. you know? So it's, it, it is tempting. Like if Kittle or Kelsey was there for me, like, especially in my second pick, it would be, it would be tempting, but um, I, I still think that it's probably going to be, quarterback running back for me with those first two picks. Um, and, and you know, it, it, the third round reversal, I think is going to help quite a bit because, you yeah. know, that, that third pick, which could easily be, you know, the second quarterback that comes a lot sooner than it, than it would have in past seasons. But I mean, you've got the actual turn. So I'm kind of curious what you're thinking there too. I mean, for me, I, I'm I'm I hate to like say I'm going to stick to one strategy because if if say like eleven quarterbacks go in front of me, then the quarterbacks I'm looking at are obviously a lot different than I expect them to be. But in my head, I really want to secure my quarterbacks at that point, even with that third round reversal. The third round reversal, I think, makes it so it's not quite as important. But with the way the scoring is in this. I don't just want quarterbacks. I want quarterbacks that I feel are going to do well within that system. Not as many turnovers or interceptions because it's really hard on them in this. So that's why to me, it's very important. And that's what I did last year. So I'm guessing you want to at least get one in the first two rounds. Mm -hmm. And um, I was looking at it and it was something like the, the, the 15 finalists it was three i think three teams completely avoided quarterback in the first two rounds and still did manage to make it but all the other ones did take at least one quarterback in the first two rounds no matter where they picked from Mm -hmm. and i think four of those teams double tapped and took two quarterbacks but one of them was Dak, Mm -hmm. to be fair so they didn't have Dak a lot of the year, but one of most of uh, two or four of them, I think, double tapped. I don't know if that math all adds up, but <laughs> <laughs> but I know it was like three or four actually did not take a quarterback in the first couple rounds, and like you said, with that third round reversal, that could work out. It could also have some of those other people 
that know they're going to have the later third pick, they could maybe go earlier as well. It could change how people draft a lot. Yeah. The other thing that people kind of have, have always had a hard time with, with this one. And I mean, Scott Fishbowl grows every year. <laughs> like it keeps getting bigger this year. We're up to what? 1900, a little over 1900 teams in this thing. Like it's so hard to differentiate. And, and we're but trying people... to interview every single person on this <laughs> for that. I know. Can you imagine <laughs> 1900 interviews? Oh my gosh. <laughs> we definitely need, totally we would enough. have to, <laughs> we for sure need to get it down <laughs> under 15 minutes an episode. <laughs> I don't think we have time otherwise. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like with that many teams, like you've got to find ways to differentiate yourself. And yet people still find themselves being slaves to value, which I know is a trigger for you. Like, you know, the, the idea that, you know, with your first pick, like, you know, Dalvin cook fell to you or, um, you know, Lamar Jackson fell to you. You've got to take them, you know? Yeah. And I'm just, I, I still am just like, man, there's, there's nothing that's going to push me off of my guys. Yeah. Like I, I might adjust, my strategy, how I want to get, you know, to the mix that I want. But like, I mean, I've been taking Aaron Rodgers in the first round. Like last year was the first time I didn't do it <laughs> in the Scott Fishbowl ever. Um, I've taken him at 101 in previous years just to make sure I got him. Last year I didn't do it and I ended up paying the price and uh I I he got taken like then he a had pick his before best me. season in a while. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah, finally does what I thought he could do all along. And I mean I was fine at quarterback, but like it's it's just kind of not the point. I I feel the best when I have Aaron Rodgers on my roster, you know. There it is, yeah. tipping my hand a little bit. I feel best when Aaron Rodgers is on my roster. And I think that he gives me the best chance. And so, man, there's absolutely no reason. It, like, if you've got a guy like that, there's absolutely no reason not to take him wherever you're picking. If, you've, if you're a 101, there's nothing wrong with taking Aaron Rodgers at 101, honestly. Yeah, I, I don't hate that at all. Especially, I mean, you have to remember, this is redraft. All the value that we put into Dynasty is completely out the window <laughs> on this. And, and, and we can't trade. Like, yeah, yeah, no, that's a good point. And that's another reason I do want to get my quarterbacks. And like you said about Aaron Rodgers, that's another reason like when I'm on that turn, I just want to take care of my quarterbacks. And that's when I feel good. And like having a couple that kind of like the, the nameless approach that you talk about a lot, but kind of just having a couple that I feel good about right there and just being done with it, see what falls to me in the third and whether I'm going to take my, I, I probably won't take a third one there, but I do want like that security. And I, I think one of the hardest things about Superflex, especially in this redraft format, is keeping your eyes off. Like it's the eye candy. It's those guys, like you mentioned, the Dalvin Cooks, the Nick Chubbs, and avoiding them for quarterback security. And that's what I'll probably be doing on my first and second pick there on that turn. Yeah. I'm trying to think of who the right guy would be to to be in one of those picks to make me actually divert from that. If he's there looking me in the eye, I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I have to. But I can tell you, I am not drafting a wide receiver till really late. Yeah, and, I, and I don't think I would. Be in the Nirvana 
division doesn't believe me just you wait (laughs) (laughs) try and make me that's that's my favorite like where you said you know you don't really want to um you know commit to a, a strategy necessarily like stubbornly like that's something that i i do run into sometimes honestly and i'm just i'm just like man there's no pushing me off of this like i said but you know it's it's uh, even even when they take all quarterbacks ahead of me thinking all right you you say you're going to go quarterback extreme here's you know uh, here's the 12th best quarterback at your first pick are you still going quarterback with your first pick i'm like eh. i mean maybe not my first pick if i'm at the one two turn you know just to mess with you guys i'll take right. a running back and then a quarterback but yeah i mean i'm still i'm still i'll take the 12th best quarterback over christian mccaffrey hell yeah yeah if mccaffrey falls there i'm definitely taking mccaffrey <laughs> yeah <laughs> really <laughs> we'll tell you that if they do that yeah it'd be hard for me not to take mccaffrey at 112 <laughs> yeah yeah it would uh, be a, over over like Trevor Lawrence, I guess. Like, yeah, it's, I don't know. Yep. That's it's pretty doable. Last year, I took my first wide receiver in the 10th round, and it happened to be Justin Jefferson. Oh, nice. So that helped a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So maybe that's part of it. Take some stabs at some rookie wide receivers. Yeah, just those late guys that are falling. You know, you can almost always get somebody like Corey Davis late and and just, you know, you establish most of your team and then you you have some depth at wide receiver and try to figure out who are going to be the guys. And then you're I think (laughs) another thing is you want to be very quick on that first waiver run. You want to throw some fab out. You want to get the guys that hit early because wins early in the Scott Fishbowl are important, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And uh, because it's a it's a shortened fantasy season for us, a, a shortened regular yep. season since it's such a a big playoff tournament. So yeah, that's a good call. But also, I mean, 1900 people and how many of them are actually going to pay attention beyond, you know, the first 10 rounds of the draft. Yeah. <laughs> like it y- you you weed a bunch of people out, uh, you know, halfway through the draft. Then the draft is over and you weed a bunch more people out. Like there, there aren't going to be very many people who are really competing with you on waivers. So take advantage of that for sure. Be, be one of the people who's active on waivers. Yeah, definitely. That's a good point too. So anything else you wanted to add to the strategic side of this? No, I don't think so. I think that you and I should probably do, um, when we get a chance do a uh, a podcast talking more about strategy um on uh over on Superflex City but yeah that way we can really kind of focus on the music with uh yeah. with our guests on this series i agree we can probably sort of get out of here then <laughs> yeah we're going to have to do this again so that i can uh get into a little bit more into your musical history and stuff before we start getting to the guests. We we can do that if you want. I can Uh, talk about Nirvana. Let's do a, let's do a separate one later, but yeah, I want to, I definitely want to like Nirvana and grunge like that. It's, it's definitely kind of the, you know, the, the step sibling of, of punk rock. So yeah, like, 
Yeah, they go I really love it, man. well. 90s were my jam, dude. Like I can say, <laughs> "Hey Siri, play 90s rock," and just jam out for a while, just listen to whatever she plays for me and be pretty freaking content to be honest with you. Yeah. yeah. So Love it, dude. I appreciate you doing this with me, dude. This is going to be yeah. exciting. We'll uh dive into this. I don't know yeah. who's going to be next. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Who's who's got the who's got the stones to to join us and talk music? Oh, is there a Rolling Stones division? That probably is. There should be, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, no social distortion, but yeah, I don't know how like how there could possibly be Rolling Stones, but no social distortion. It makes no sense, but it's probably it probably happened. Mick Jagger rigged it. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I am at Swagzilla Zero G. I'm at Superflex Dude. This is at Superflex City. We are dancing in the city. This is going to be a fun one. Yes. I don't think I've ever done a podcast where I talked that little about music. A couple times, maybe, or about fantasy football. I know you have, you know, with some of your solo stuff, but that was yeah. kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. Like, we've got a lot to say about music, so it's a, it's it's still right in our wheelhouse. Yep.